0: I'm Catherine Arndt, the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. Welcome to today's episode, brought to you by the VLGA, your councillor support network and the national broadcaster on all things local government.
1: Hi, everyone. It's VLGA Connect and local leaders time again. And I'm delighted to have with me today the Chief Executive at South Gippsland Shire Council, Karen Ellis, who I know pretty well, and it's great to see you. Karen, welcome.
0: Thanks, Chris. It's lovely to be
1: here. And of course, you've been around the local government sector for a long time, and I want to talk about that. Uh, It hasn't been purely local government, of course, but our paths crossed uh, a few times, uh, particularly with LG Pro, when uh, I was helping out there for a little while. You're still involved with that organisation?
0: Yeah, I am. I've had a long um, involvement with LG Pro now, actually, and um, a really enjoyable involvement, actually. It's an organisation that I really support, but I'm still currently a board member uh, through until December this year when our elections happen.
1: Oh, election time. And of course, I want to talk a bit about elections too, because uh, from a council point of view, elections aren't that far away also, just a little Mm. over a year. And of course, a fairly unique situation at South Gippsland. You're one of a handful of councils that uh, was under administration for a time and you've been back uh, with elected representation for just a little while. How's that transition been for you?
0: Yeah, um, we had administrators for a little over two years and then we had our elections in October 2021. So we're coming up to two years now with our new councillor group. Um, We had eight out of nine that were brand new to local government, no prior local government experience, um, which meant that the induction and transition process needed to be quite extensive, but it was also a really positive thing, I think, for South Gippsland in the sense that we had a complete um, fresh start, which I think was really what the council needed. (laughs) Really interesting from the perspective, I think, of both the community and the organisation that having that fresh start was really valuable and it's uh, brought a range of new perspectives to council, which has been terrific. Um, And now, yeah, they're only a year away from the election Um, In one sense, it's a shame they didn't get the full four years because they're really just hitting their straps now. But I'm really hopeful that a number of them will stand again and hopefully they do get re-elected to give them that opportunity to have a bit
1: longer. That's that's really good to hear because I did want to ask you, there's been a debate, I think, for quite some time about whether uh, the four-year term for councils was the right move going from the three years that it, it used to be. And some CEOs will tell you that last year in a four-year term is pretty tiring and pretty tough on the councillors and the organisations. Are you seeing... Uh, perhaps benefit of having that shorter term because as you say they're really just hitting their strides now
0: yeah it's a it's an interesting question because as you mentioned up front Chris I have been in local government for quite a while and I do remember when the terms um, were shorter and I think there's pros and cons certainly Four years is a long time and if you're a councillor that's into your second term, eight years is a really long time and a lot changes in that time. Um, But I think for us with such a new group, I actually think four years would have been great just simply because um, it really takes a couple of years just to get your head around the complexity and breadth of local government and I think for the councillors to really understand what their role is um, in in a very complex system. And I would say our group, who are very bright and capable people, are probably just at the point now where they're really understanding how best to have an impact and what their unique role in that uh, system is. So it would have been really nice for them to have that extra year. But on the same um, or on the flip side, I suppose they they are fresher. It's certainly true that the fourth year is um, a challenging year in terms of just keeping that momentum going.
1: We've talked to Lucy Roffey at Central Goldfields for another episode of Local Leaders, and I know that she valued the input and the advice from you around your transition process. How, mm-hmm. does, how challenging was it from an organisational point of view to go through what was a pretty short period of administration and then adjust again with the return of elected reps?
0: Look, it was very challenging. Um, as I mentioned, the organisation or the councillors were dismissed in July 2019, Um, I commenced in my role in March 2020. Um, Obviously, administrators had been appointed by that stage. So the organisation had had a very, very challenging three or four years with the previous council. um, And some staff had experienced some really quite inappropriate behaviour and had been very much exposed to that tension that was there in the chamber. Um, other staff who might not have had a lot to do with the councillors were on the receiving end of people in the community that were very, very critical of the councillor group and not necessarily able to distinguish between staff and councillors. So, you know, some of our outdoor staff out there wearing the logo were abused, spat on. It was pretty horrible. Mm. Um, So it's probably fair to say that when I joined the organisation in 2020, um, on the back of a lot of change, the council being dismissed, Um, Tim Tamlin my predecessor the previous CEO had um, departed um, an interim CEO in place administrators coming on board the organization was pretty bruised and was also quite change fatigued but luckily nothing big happened in March 2020 not a pandemic or anything like that (laughs) Um, so you know it was a period of a lot of change and a lot of challenges and we really did need to use that time Um, leading up to the 2021 election to just give the organisation some space and some calm and a chance to, um, I think, have their story heard by a new leader, but also they really wanted reassurance that we weren't going to dwell in the past and that we were ready to move forward. Um, And I did a lot of work and I was actually very ably supported by Steve Cooper, who I know is a regular on your program, um, just around helping the organisation to reset and build their confidence, not only in the election process and the decision that community would make as to who they wanted as representatives, but also to build their confidence in me as a new CEO that I would provide them with the support that they needed through that transition. And we also did a real reset around just Good Governance 101, what is actually the role of the council, what's the role of the CEO, and what's the role of the staff in supporting the community? Um, And that that process was really, really valuable and successful, but it was challenging because I had to deliver it all as a brand-new CEO, literally from my dining table. Um, I wasn't able to meet with many of my staff face-to-face for probably almost the best part of my first 12 months. So, look, it was challenging, but it was a really important process that we needed to go through.
1: Yes, I was going to ask you about being a first-time CEO uh, in a council under administration, let alone, <laughs> I'd forgotten, to be honest, can you believe it, about the, the pandemic. <laughs> how How does a new CEO approach that challenge? What did you do to prepare yourself and have the resilience to get through that?
0: It's a good question because, in retrospect now, I actually sometimes can't believe that I that I did it because it well it really at one stage did feel like it was just one thing after another but I think at the time I just um you know it's one foot in front of the other and it's just remind I was reminding myself that you know I've been in local government a really long time the best thing about the sector is that you're not alone there is always someone else that's grappled with a challenge that you're grappling with And people are so supportive and so collegiate. And there's always someone at the other end of the phone that can give you advice. You mentioned Lucy Roffey before um, and Brendan McGrath at Wangaratta. They were the two CEOs that had most recently come out of administration and they were incredibly supportive to me, but also to my organization in terms Mm. of just sharing what they learnt and the process they went through. Um, And I think the main thing for me was just being really authentic with my team and saying to them that, You know, this is actually a really new set of circumstances for all of us, but we're doing it together and I was there to support them. And um, I was certainly really keen to reassure them that I understood that they'd had a really challenging time and I wanted to make sure that we were setting ourselves and our new counsellors up for a different phase in South Gippsland's history and setting them up for success. Mm. Um, And a lot of it was just listening, being prepared to listen and to understand and have empathy for what people had gone through um and the other element for me if I'm really honest about it was I probably got to the point after about three months in the role where I thought this is ridiculous so I'm trying to reset an organization from my kitchen table not even Mm. able to be in the building and I had a couple of really um trusted advisors who I deeply respect that basically gave me a bit of a a kick in the bum and said well (laughs) this is it you you know you can't pick your time this is your time and that that election deadline is a pretty fixed one it's going to happen so do the best you can and that really changed my mindset to go from this is hard why is it happening this way to this is what it is and we're going to nail this Mm. um and in the end you know um not perfect but I think we did a pretty good job
1: so you've sort of gone towards answering the, the next question I was going to ask, which which was about, I know you've been through one of the LG Pro, I think Emerging Leaders some years back. Emerging another.
0: Leaders and XLP. And I'm XLP, right. So, yeah. so
1: you've got two networks there that no doubt are still reasonably active. But what do you do to keep fresh and on top? Do you have a coach, for example, personal and professional development?
0: Um, I was really fortunate when I was first appointed to the role um, that the council at the time, which was made up of administrators, were... um really keen to support me to be successful, particularly in that first year. Um, And they were happy to provide um, or support me to have a coach for the first 12 months, which was absolutely amazing and made so much difference in terms of my ability to um, not get stuck in that sort of mouse wheel of the day-to-day, which can be um, a real trap, and to keep my focus on the longer term and the transition that we needed to make. Um, So that was terrific in the first 12 months. But the way that I describe my approach to, um, I suppose, my own leadership development is that I have a board of directors. I have a range of really um, highly trusted people that have different skills and different backgrounds, but they're all people that I really trust to go to for advice and support. And um, I'm really grateful to that group of people, some of whom are, um, as you say, people I've met through, emerging leaders or XLP or the LG Pro board, others are former leaders that I've had the privilege to work with and others are people that are completely outside the sector and bring a totally different perspective. Um, But having those trusted advisors that you know will, their only interest is supporting you to do well, but they will also be honest with you when you need it. I think that's really important as a CEO because it, it can be a lonely job but the other thing is it can also be a job where sometimes people won't tell you what you need to hear if they yeah. think it's going to be difficult. So mm. you need to make sure you've got people in your corner that will that will be honest, even if yeah. it's hard to hear.
1: So as we said at the outset, you've been around local government for a long time. I think, uh, well, if you looked at your LinkedIn profile, I'm not sure if you're telling the full story there. It's, it's all councils except for a little sojourn off to IBAC at one point. Mm. Just tell us about your journey. Why local government in the first place?
0: Uh, Like many people, it was a complete accident. Um, Mm -hmm. I started in local government in 1997 with a two-week temp appointment at Bayside City Council in the customer service team. Um, I was at university at the time and I was doing uh, temp work as a way to support myself through university. Um, I'd been at Telstra, I'd been at a range of government departments, and it just so happened that they sent me off to something called Bayside City Council um, for a two-week temp role, and 26 years later I'm still here. Um, but it was a it was a really fantastic, serendipitous, but something I'm really, really grateful for that I was um placed at Bayside because it was a real eye-opener for me walking in the door the first day I sort of had a vague idea that councils I think they collect the bins and maybe they do some other things didn't really have any idea it wasn't a rate payer myself at the time um, and it, it was a, a real eye-opener and what I really loved about Bayside and I've subsequently realised that it's actually a characteristic of local government right across Victoria is that There are a lot of women in professional roles, which was an eye-opener having come from Telstra at that time where that Mm. wasn't the case. Um, There are a lot of women leaders and also the culture was really supportive and people genuinely were there because they wanted to support the community and I just loved it.
1: So at what point did you realise the career development opportunity that existed in the sector?
0: I applied for, uh, when I finished university, I applied I'd been working in customer service that whole time, but when I finished university and decided I probably needed a full-time job, um, I applied for a job internally at Bayside, which was in what was then called the client services department. Cause this was back in um, CCT days, but it would right. now be called procurement. Um, and that was really probably my first step into um, a permanent role in local government that I really um saw opportunities to grow and develop and I was really fortunate to have a great coordinator and a really supportive manager in that role that did support my growth and development but to be honest the thing that changed local government from being just a job to being a career for me was completing the Emerging Leaders Program which was in 2005 with LG Pro and that really opened my eyes to the breadth and depth of what local government does right across Victoria and the fact that whilst we all do similar things, we do them in a way that's relevant and appropriate for the community that we're working with. Um, and I just, I found that absolutely fascinating and I really loved that network um, of contacts that I developed and the fact that even though we were all in different departments, we were all had different backgrounds and different professions, we were really motivated by the same things and we shared the same values. And mm. um, I still think that's true to this day. And it's been very, very rare that I've come across a person in local government that isn't willing to support their colleagues, both within and outside their own council, which is a a wonderful asset that we've got in the sector.
1: Very, very true. And it certainly comes to the fore in times of of crisis, as we've Mm -hmm. talked with others on this program, particularly uh, through the floods uh, last year. So was being a CEO always the aim? Because I I do want to understand why you went off to IBAC for a time uh, and and, and appeared to be moving away from local government.
0: Yeah, I'd like to understand that too. I'm not really (laughs) sure. (laughs) Um, Look, to be honest, uh, so to answer your first question, no, being a CEO wasn't always my ambition. In fact, for many years, I was really clear that that wasn't uh, my goal. Um, Ever since I was in customer service my ambition was always to be a corporate services director. That was a role where I thought I could really make a difference. I could shape and guide the way the organization worked and I can support people. That was what really attracted me to that role. And um, I was so fortunate to get the director of corporate, uh, It was actually corporate performance role at city of greater Bendigo, which was, um, you know, one of the best roles that I've had in my career and, Greater Bendigo is such an exciting place to work. Craig Neiman such a brilliant CEO. It was just an amazing opportunity. Um, But I had quite a strong governance background prior to that and continued that in the role at Bendigo, which I really loved. Um, And that was probably, it was probably that governance and integrity element that attracted me to the role at IBAC. And um, I was also interested in not necessarily, it was never really about leaving local government, I always had it in my mind that I would come back, but I liked the idea of broadening my perspective and um, seeing the world, I guess, from the state government perspective, but mm. also understanding a bit more, in a bit more depth, that sort of integrity space and um, And look, I absolutely loved it. I was only at IBAC for a couple of years, but Mm. it was a really, really interesting experience. And I learned a lot in that short time. Um, And I was really fortunate um, that towards the end of my time at IBAC, Marlo Baragwanath was appointed. who's still the CEO. Mm. um, And she's just amazing. And I learned, even though I only crossed paths with her for a few months, I learned a lot from her. Mm. Um, But the role came up at South Gippsland and I was approached by Fisher leadership who were handling the recruitment. And when um, the consultant from Fisher explained to me what he thought and the administrators thought they needed in a CEO, the match was really good. They needed somebody with strong governance experience and somebody that was committed and capable of really supporting and transforming the organisation and supporting people that had had a pretty tough time. And Mm. I thought well, I can do that. Why don't I have a go?
1: And, and of course, now you're a you're a Gippslander, effectively. This is your first role down in Gippsland, isn't
0: it? It's my first role yeah. in Gippsland. And as of September last year, my husband and I have also moved to Gippsland, and we absolutely love it. It is just right. an amazing region, and it's such a beautiful place. And South Gippsland is, um, I think, one of the most beautiful parts of Victoria. So it's a real privilege to work here.
1: Let's talk a bit about current circumstances, issues, challenges, etc. You spoke a little bit about uh, being really pleased with the results of the election, with what you Mm. got in terms of a council, and you're hoping many of those will put their hand up again. A lot of that, though, comes down to the work that you put into developing prospective candidates in the community leading up to the election, didn't it?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a role, I think, for councils to play in supporting the development of leadership in the community, Um, not just for the purposes of running for council, but for um, all the great things that community leaders do. Um, One of the things that was a recommendation of the Commission of Inquiry report um, into South Gippsland was that we deliver a community leadership program. Um, And we commenced that under the administrators prior to the election. It's still running to this day. It's actually happening at the moment. Mm. And that was a fantastic opportunity for the um, amazing community leaders that we have in South Gippsland to um, both grow and develop and be supported to expand their skills, but also to meet other leaders and to learn a bit about local government. Um, As we Mm. know, there's a lot of people out there that really don't know much about local government at all it might be amazing councillors, but they've just never given it any thought. So it was an opportunity for some of those leaders to think about whether or not running for council might be something that they'd like to do at some stage. Mm. Um, And we had a number of candidates that ran for council that had completed the program. And um, I'm really proud to say we have one amazing councillor um, to this day who completed the program in Councillor right. Claire Williams. Um, so, you know, I think it's that it's that investment in community leadership. But the other thing that we did was run, um, again, in partnership with VLGA actually, a number of um, candidate information forums where people could just hear a bit about what it's really like to be a councillor, what's involved and what the difference is that you can make in your community in this unique role.
1: And I think a lot of elements of that model, if not all of them, have been picked up at Whittlesea and and possibly at Casey, as well as they head towards a return to elected representation as well. Mm. Um, you mentioned Steve Cooper before, a friend of the program, regular visitor, not as regular as uh, he used to be, sadly. Uh, but he did reach out very recently to say how uh, impressed he was with your community satisfaction survey results. Mm. And I understand now that he's got a bit of a, an, an interest in those outcomes. Um pretty big turnaround in terms of the community perceptions of the council wasn't it
0: a huge shift Um, we came off uh, back in 2018 and 19 of um, probably the lowest community satisfaction results that I've ever seen in my time in local government and Mm. you know for good reason I think there was a perception in the community that the councillors were more interested in themselves and fighting amongst themselves than they were in supporting and working for the community Um, and, and to be quite honest I think the Commission of Inquiry report demonstrated that the community was probably right, that perception was was probably fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And where we've come to since has been, yeah, a 180-degree turnaround, and that did start under the time of the administrators, but it's a huge credit to the councillor group that that has not only continued but we're now at a point where on some of those key measures we're actually leading the state um, and that's particularly around that community leadership, community engagement type role, which our councillor group, um, all nine of them have made a really strong commitment to working with and for the community, um, listening to the community, engaging with the community in a meaningful way. And the community's noticed and they're really appreciating it, which is fantastic to see.
1: What are the big issues at the moment? And we need to wrap this up because I know you've you've got a busy schedule. Um, current challenges, the issues, the things that keep you awake at, night what's at the top of that list for you
0: um not much keeps me awake at night to be honest (laughs) but um the biggest challenge for for South Gippsland at the moment but it's also our I think our biggest opportunity is that um Gippsland was the first declared renewable energy zone um, which will amongst other things involve um offshore wind coming to Mm. our um region um not necessarily directly in South Gippsland but certainly um, our region and I think it's a huge opportunity for us to be part of that carbon neutral future Um, the Gippsland region as everyone's well aware has had a really strong um, history of providing power to the state through the Latrobe Valley Um, and that's a a really a, a history that we're really proud of as a region Um, but we have a, I think, unique opportunity now to build a um, renewable and carbon neutral energy future. So I'm really quite excited about the role that South Gippsland can play in that space and also what that might mean for um, future jobs and for our young people um, learning and development opportunities um, and also just a chance to be part of a a sustainable future for Victoria. So that's an exciting time. Um, And then the other thing that I think is on most CEOs' minds at the moment is around um, attracting, retaining and developing a skilled workforce. We've been really, really fortunate in South Gippsland um, that our turnover rate is, it was very high when I started, probably for obvious reasons. It's now one of the lowest in the state and we've got an incredibly capable leadership team. Um, But it's always just about that next opportunity to make sure that we're still attracting really talented people to our organisation.
1: Some of your neighbours have been pretty vocal recently about the government's decision to end native timber logging. Is that as big an issue for South Gippsland as it is for some of those other municipalities?
0: Not directly. Um, We have plantations in South Gippsland. We don't have um, native timber logging, but we're certainly very um, aware of the impact it's going to have on the region and very supportive of our neighbours, particularly Latrobe East, Gippsland and Wellington. Um, From my perspective, it's not so much the decision itself. It's the suddenness with which it was brought forward and um, the lack of, I suppose, detail and planning around supporting those communities to transition Mm. to a different future. We know that that takes time. um, And I'd really like to see more support for some of those communities to build new industries so that um, the communities can continue to thrive.
1: Karen, we're going to have to leave it there. It's been great to talk with you. And I thank you so much for being so, so open with us about your journey and your current challenges at South Gippsland. Well done on what you've achieved thus far and all the best for what's to come.
0: Thanks so much, Chris. It's been lovely to talk to you.
1: Karen Ellis is the CEO at South Gippsland Shire Council. Our guest today on Local Leaders from VLGA Connect.